Haini pi, haini pi. Haini pi, hini karagiwi. Waziregi, wagad nakshana. Wajaniwina, jankishana, hini karagiwina. Hanachni, piarachara wi. Piachji, wau nakshana. Amta e harmihe hamje. We hapwe kabra, hakewe ashanaje. Iji kerek jawi. Good morning and greetings from the land of 11 nations, or as everyone else calls it, Wisconsin. I am doing fantastic, and I sincerely hope everyone else is as well. What well, was so much going on in the world today, and it seems that there is always so much going on in the world today, I was thinking that maybe, but it's gay, we could spend a couple of minutes together. And just shut out all the noise from the outside world and just focus on our little part of it. Talk about things that affect us, affect us directly, affect our families, our people, and our nation. That's the height of hubris for me to think that I have all the answers, let alone the questions. But I think it's important for us, the Ho-Chunk people, to have a place for us to gather, a place where we can voice our opinions and share our ideas. And that's what I think this podcast is trying to accomplish. And that is why I want to thank everyone who spends a little bit of their valuable time listening to the podcast. Time being the second most important gift that our Creator has bestowed upon us, it is of the utmost importance that I provide you, the listening audience, with the highest quality entertainment that we can provide. Now, one of the things that keeps me grounded is the dialogue I have with you, the listeners. I really enjoy listening and reading the commentary that all of you share. Sometimes it's not what I want to hear, and it runs contrary to what I think. But it's extremely important to hear these things. I think there is a huge disconnect between older Ho-Chunks, not just elders, but older members of our nation who were taught how we used to take care of one another before our government was founded and before we had Judah rolling in every month. Older Ho-Chunks who live in uh, Ho-Chunk communities, these people have different values, different priorities than what I have. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. We were raised in different times and different environments. But it's of, of the utmost importance that I hear from both perspectives, that I understand what they're saying to me because, well, that could be me in a couple years. That and the hundreds of other perspectives because now the people of our nation live all over the country not just the 14 counties. This is why I'm constantly asking people to get in touch with me and voice their ideas and opinions. To get back to it, though, I really do enjoy people explaining their thoughts and ideas to me, where my thoughts are misguided, perhaps even wrong, and how I should take the time to look at things from a different perspective. Hey, honestly, we can disagree on how we arrive at a destination. There's a thousand different routes to any destination. The goal is for everyone to arrive at the same place safely. If you want to get in touch with me, ring me up if you have my number. I'm always in my office 24-7, and if I don't answer, probably because I'm sleeping. But uh, leave a message. Your call is important to me, and yes, I can and will be discreet. If you don't like talking, you know, we haven't been properly introduced or formally, text me and I'll get back to you. Now, if you don't have my number, fear not, fellow traveler we can still make this connection happen. My Gmail is moneycucksick at gmail.com. That's M-A-N-I-K-A-K-S-I-K at gmail.com. 
and I answer all my emails personally. I got no staff or minions to intercede. It's just you and me kicking around ideas and thoughts for the nation. We have other options now. I'm pretty active on a Facebook Chipotle page. So jump in on the conversations um, I present or bring your own topic to the party. Chipotle Podcast is also active on YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok, and Instagram. I haven't or I don't quite get hashtags. Are they still relevant or has that ship sailed? I'm just jumping in now. Jeez, I must be, I'm just so damn old. Last week I did a piece on the Supreme Court rulings that I felt were slowly eroding our tribal sovereignty. Not the Ho-Chunk Nation in particular, but indigenous sovereignty as a whole, which kind of includes us. I indicated that I felt it was premeditated, and while I don't blame the Supreme Court per se, ignorance of Indian law is pervasive in the higher courts, and we, indigenous nations, just don't have the pockets deep enough that special interest groups that pursue cases in courts and that they're able to exploit this ignorance. Case in point, the fight for water, um, the Colorado River Basin, and the treaties that the federal government indigenous nations signed. The Navajo Nation was denied water, and now the Hopi are being, being denied water, while the Southern Ute and Ute Mountain Nations are worried about their water rights going forward. Now, this is just to name a few on this particular case. These cases are all in court, or, as the case with the Navajo Nation, have been adjudicated with indigenous nations on the losing side. Now, this is not a piece advocating for water rights for indigenous nations that have claims for water, or assume they did when they signed those treaties with the federal government. No, this is a piece advocating for the separation of business from government, and I'm using all the losing we, indigenous nations, are suffering at the hands of special interests in the courts as a precursor to what could happen to us. Now, before we go any further, I want to point out the obvious. I am not a lawyer. My knowledge of law is pretty much non-extinct, and anything I say is strictly an uniformed opinion. But it is my opinion. So I just want you to keep that in mind as you listen. Now we pay law firms extraordinary amounts of money to protect us or to keep us informed. And I'm sure all those nations that lost cases in the Supreme Court, the appellate courts, and the district courts also paid large attorney fees to protect them or advance their particular interests. But we have to have things that protect us. We have to do things that protect our nation now and protect our nation far into the future. We've seen how special interests look for special cases that attack vulnerable parts of the law and throw millions of dollars at these weaknesses. The ICWA, ICWA, ruling the latest and most obvious, two of the three litigants didn't even have legal standing because their cases had already been decided. But nonetheless... Their names were there. Now, we could no longer sit and wait for things to happen. We have to be proactive. One of the simplest and most obvious things for us to do, Ho-Chunk Nation, is to separate our business from government. All of our business. Yes, this includes gaming. The Ho-Chunk Nation can no longer function as a family business. With everything that is happening around us, we have to define our government and business as two separate and distinct entities. Why? 
is simple. Business and government are indeed two separate and distinct entities with separate goals and obligations. Now, I was talking to someone, and he was telling me about his uh, chujunk and how she was involved in 4-H, and it just showed her chickens. And he was telling me all about the ribbons she had won. Now, I had just read something about how someone was raising organic chickens and how much they were being sold for, and it was some serious bank. I said, the nation's starting an organic chicken farm. We've got all these children and their parents with knowledge about how to raise chickens. No, he said emphatically. We should have a whole chunk entrepreneur raise organic chickens and sell them for a profit. Have you ever heard of a village, a city, or a county start a business? No, no, you haven't, because that's not their job. Their job is to maintain the functioning of the village, the city, or the county, not take municipal funds and start businesses. In that moment, I kind of felt humiliated. All the talk that I had been doing about the separation of business and government, and I fell right back into the same old tired thinking. But that's our thinking as a group. The nation has the answers, and the nation has the means, when it's quite the opposite. The nation, our nation, doesn't have the answers, and our nation doesn't have the means. Okay, what does this have to do with the Supreme Court decisions and our sovereignty as an indigenous nation? Every day we see court decisions going against indigenous nations, but we can't see everything coming down a road. A lot of the research that I've linked, looked into always has the same principle among indigenous nations. Seven generations. The nations who have separated or, or, or who are separating are doing so not so much for this generation, but for the generations that come after us. Why? What do they see? What are they protecting? Who are they protecting? And what are they building? Now with the Lac de Flambeau v. Coughlin ruling, our sovereignty now has another crack in it. And it won't take long until another case is filed, if one hasn't already been filed attacking another piece of our sovereignty. We have to remember these cases that are filed attacking our sovereignty are not filed with attack indigenous sovereignty written on a file case. No, it's a lot more insidious than that. A lot more subtle. Now, we haven't changed the way we do business since our inception. We are a sitting duck. A moving target is a lot harder to hit, but we're not comfortable attempting to be nimble. The people challenging our sovereignty are always changing tactics, looking for new avenues to explore. We have to adapt and become more in tune with what is happening across the nation. With our businesses being run by our government, are we not susceptible to lawsuits? No, you say, because we have tribal immunity. And I am saying this is what all these court cases are attacking, that tribal immunity we so heavily rely on. Once enough cracks in tribal immunity are eroded, we are, for all intents and purposes, just another municipality. We are not a sovereign nation. We are a community within the jurisdiction of the counties and the states we live in. We have to have that separation for two reasons. So that our businesses are run by professionals who have one purpose in mind, one purpose only, and at the end of every month, every quarter, and our annual statements, our enterprises are operating in the black. We're showing a profit. We're not operating a food, I mean a job service. We're operating a business. 
And two, our government is shielded from further infringement on our sovereignty from business entities seeking to sue our businesses for whatever reason. They can sue the business. They can't sue the nation. Our government is free to protect us from political encroachment and lawsuits aimed at diminishing our political rights as an indigenous nation. The Ho-Chunk Nation should have a separate entity that is solely focused on business and a distinct functioning political entity focused solely on the welfare and well-being of our citizens and our government. Not just for us, but for our children's children. Rakiri Wida, hi Pink. Well, good evening, everybody. And uh, tonight I thought we'd start uh, talking about uh, general counsel. Um, I think we got 60 some odd days away. And I wanted to start talking about uh, resolutions. Um, people have been sending resolutions into the uh, office of the uh, general counsel. And I've asked people to uh, send me resolutions that they're interested in. So tonight, I thought I would ask uh, my brother, John Warner, to come along and uh, help me on this road. Good evening, sir. Are you there? Yeah, how you doing, Shelby? Oh, couldn't be better. Could not be better. Um, so I, I asked you on tonight because I wanted to kind of go through some of, uh, some resolutions that uh, I think are kind of important for this GCA, this uh, general counsel coming up. And I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts and maybe you could uh, help me... Uh, where I'm falling down on the interpretation and uh, presentation. So uh, does that sound good to you? Sure. Sure, we can go from there. All right. Well, I kind of wanted to talk about two resolutions tonight. Um, I think are kind of important. Number one is the uh, reinstating the general counsel agency and then reversing the uh, Office of the General Counsel Establishment and Organization Act. That is... Um, one resolution, I guess it could be two, but I, I'm using it as one. And then the other one I'm kind of interested in is the uh, establishing the uh, general counsel agency branch attorney um, hiring procedures and how do we get an attorney for us so we don't have to go through the um, legislature. So um, I guess let's start with the reinstating the general counsel agency. Um can you give us a little outline on that that uh, you have? Because I have one in front of me, but I just kind of want to get you involved right. right off the bat. Sure. Well, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but a lot of these things have been been hanging around since uh, 2020. Um, that, I think that was a the, we we had uh, two attempts for general counsel, and uh, in 2021, actually, there was an updated uh, reinstatement of general counsel agency and reversal of office of uh, general counsel, and um, that was kind of put together by the previous um, OGC general counsel advocate and a, a group of District Two uh, tribal members. And um, I was one of those members, but uh, we also had some open meetings and uh, public forums for the general counsel, trying to kind of get these things out in the public and kind of flush it out, flesh it out and uh, get it vetted and have as many people have input to uh, what we're trying to do. You know, the real power of the people is general counsel and the, the power is the power to vote. But 
during general council when we have it annually or when we have special general councils, you know, we have we have a lot of authority to do a lot of things there, too. So um, we haven't been able to do a lot. And right now the legislature kind of, uh, you know, kind of hodgepodge uh, the, the removal. So do you, do you want to kind of talk about why we're in this situation? Or well, do you want to just go straight into the resolution? It kind of... Yeah, we, we we better figure out exactly how we got to where we're at before we uh, jump to where we want to go. So, what is that, 2016 is when I think we did this? Yeah, I believe so. So, maybe, um, as far as I know, we wanted to remove some uh, the general counsel agency personnel, as, 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 I, as I remember it. Yep, it was resolution nine seventeen two thousand sixteen zero one, entitled "Dissolution of the General Counsel Agency." And um, we did that. We we did what we wanted to do, but I don't think it was what we wanted to do. I would agree with you. I think what we were looking at was uh, basically the removal of the the players or the actors of the general counsel agency, not necessarily the general counsel agency itself, the body that was created in the Constitution. I, that's my perception of what it was, because when, when you know, there was a couple things that were going on a little funny. You know, they had a uh, they were they were found to be mismanaging money and getting paid for. Uh, paying for uh, hotel rooms and uh there's a lot of uh a lot of problems with that group that was that was in in uh, in operation so i think when we did dissolve the general counsel agency i think it was um intention was to get rid of the people maybe not necessarily the agency because i would think um the people that did the dissolution the dissolution um would know that you would have to amend the constitution Right. Because I believe that was um, I want to say it was uh, uh, Willie Wilfred and uh, uh, and his sister, Rita, that were the main players that tried to. Well, and interestingly enough, they were also the main players that kind of um, got the GCA approved. So, you know, I think I, that's what I that's what I re recall was the players, not necessarily the agency. What do you recall? Well, that was it. But one of the things that I remember precisely was that I can't remember who was up there speaking, but she was telling us, she told us, she goes, you know, if you get rid of us, you know, none of this is going to go, none of this is going to happen anymore. You guys aren't getting paid. Um, this um, general counsel is over. And I think she kind of overplayed her hand, but what she said was basically correct. Because we blew ourselves up without knowing it. Um, I, I think that when we do these things, you know, we got to look at what we're doing. And we didn't quite, uh, we, we didn't quite work this one out to our advantage. No, I agree with you. I think we, we kind of, well, we kind of screwed the pooch on it, I'd say, you know, um, I was there when we did the vote and yeah. I think I even voted for it, but I was like, I, I don't think it's right, but okay, let's let's see what happens and what hap what I thought would happen happened. <laughs> no, I was uh as I recall, I was pretty puffy chested about it. I was all kinda happy going with the flow, uh not looking down the road, but um you know, that's water over the dam under the bridge, the whole nine yards. So 
that's what that's what happened. Now, right. what happened next? Well, then move, move to the next thing, and then what happens is legislature, you know, the attorney general had made a statement in 2016. It was Amanda White Eagle. I believe also uh, Michelle Green Deer Rave also did an opinion, and then so did, um, uh, what's the most recent one? Scott. Uh, Scott Seifert. Seifert. He also alluded to that, that, you know, uh, there has to be a change or a correction to the Constitution, and the OGC is actually kind of improper and illegal, and and that was created in uh, January on January nineteenth, two thousand seventeen, which was uh, Resolution zero one one nine seventeen P, which is the creation or establishment of the Office of General Counsel. And uh, that's that's where we are now, and that's where that's what we're looking at. So this particular uh, um, resolution was created um, to help solve that issue, so we don't have to go through a constitutional amendment, right? Correct. That's yeah. uh, you know the general counsel agency is a good thing, and if it if it stuck to the parameters that it was it was tasked with it's a great watchdog organization and, and that's really what it's there for and it's there to continue the work of the general counsel that we you know we established policy and their job was just to move forward with what we said unfortunately you know like anything we can corrupt we can corrupt a lot right um if we're if we're not watching our people and you know i i uh, i, I kind of historically said this kind of wrong electing uh uh these general counsel agents at legislative area meetings you know i always thought that was unconstitutional myself because if you look at the way the constitution reads um area meetings are legislative sessions and there is, you know, the, we have the separation of powers. I believe that general counsels should be um, the place to elect agents. No, I agree with with you 100% on that, that there should be, um, if we can't use the, the branch offices to do this business because it's uh, general counsel, but then it has to be done somewhere, but it has to be done outside the um, auspices of the legislature. It has to be done under the... Uh, you know, the guidance of the general counsel itself, the general counsel agency, and they're the ones who have to um, establish the rules and guidelines. Speaking of which, does the general counsel agency have guidelines? It has bylaws. Bylaws. uh, Very extensive bylaws. And uh, the the group had worked on on those bylaws. And I think we should talk about it. But I don't think we should talk about it tonight. I'd love to come back on and and just do one on the bylaws because there was a total revamp of the bylaws and the the meeting procedures um, that, that was done and created. To, so that people know that it wasn't the old way of running the general council. I don't know unless you want to go into it tonight, but I, I don't know if everybody's got enough time. No, no, I'd, I'd like to do that all by itself because that looks like that's going to be a bear all by itself just to start getting to the minutia of it without getting uh, totally boring on it, just to try to hit all the highlights of what it encompasses, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I'm good with that. So how, how about we just tackle, you know, now that we've got a little bit of history and you can make it a, a multi, multi-prong uh, 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 podcast and let's just get to the meat of what this particular thing does, this resolution. And this resolution um, 
uh, is is actually pretty cool because people forget in the Constitution that um, the general counsel retains the power to overturn legislative action. And, you know, we don't do that very often at general counsel. I don't think we've ever done it, have we? No, we haven't. That means we can actually re- recall laws and, and uh, ordinances and things that the legislature has done. We can overturn that. And this is one of the first actions that the general counsel will be taking on, getting the power and saying, hey, wait, let's undo what you've done here, legislature. And really, that's what this resolution is about. What it does is it reinstates the GCA and it allows for an election to occur. It also reinstates GCA with new uh, policies and procedures. And what it does is it transfers all the assets of the OGC to the GCA, including its uh, personnel and the budgets that are associated with it. Can that be done? Can we just slide over officers that are involved right now into the GCA? Well, we we can't slide over officers, but we can slide over uh, hired positions. Because right now the OGC has the budget. Right. If you look at the way we've done it, the Office of General Counsel currently has a budget. Okay, and they have personnel working in that office. What this resolution does is it says, hey, we recognize that the nation allocated OGC money, that OGC has personnel in it. And we recognize that that's where all this stuff happened from. So what this resolution does is says, we're going to take that. We're telling you, general uh, legislature, that once this approves, all those dollars and budgets transfer back to the GCA. All the people that were hired under the OGC go under the auspice of the GCA. So that's really important. Then it also says, because we don't like the Establishment Act, of the OGC, we're going to reverse your legislative order and tell you to knock that crap off and, and, and it's not established anymore. Our GCA is back in action. So that's really what this does. I see it all on the, um, on the paperwork, it says that they would, uh, they would cede control, uh, on January 1st, correct? Of the like 2024 then. Yep. So it gives a little bit of a transition period so that things can be worked out and accounts can be done properly. All right, that sounds uh that sounds fair. Um now would we Well, this would have been one month ending of January because if I remember when this general council came, we had to go in the winter. Yeah. So I think it would be one month. So if, if we're in September, it was October. Yeah, September. Well, October, yeah. Yeah, I just don't know. I mean, what's what's involved? Well, the older resolution and it has to be updated, and uh, it is being updated. So it will be about a month of transition that okay. occurs. So if it is approved at General Counsel, which we hope it will be, um, it'll well, they'll have about a month to make all those transfers and recreate those uh, those uh, budget lines and make sure that we have a General Counsel agency. Uh, telling the general counsel advocate and his deputy advocates in the office what to do. Because right now, it's the legislature and the office of the president that's directing the um, 
OGC staff. Would we need um, an election at that particular time to um, yes. vote vote in a uh, GCA advocate? Well, no, we'd have to have general counsel agents would have to be voted in. And that's particular with the bylaws. Okay. So okay. This is, there's a multi-pronged approach to what's going on here. One is we want to be able to amend the procedures to the general counsel, which is which is another show that we already are uh, agreed to discuss. <laughs> and then there's the bylaws that need to be approved, right? These are the new GCA bylaws. And then this would be another, this would be the, the, the coup de grace, the, the final piece of the puzzle that says, all right, we have this new bylaws established. We have these, um, the new procedures established for general counsel. Now we're going to move into reversing the OGC and reestablishing the GCA. And it, it rescinds portions of the disillusion. Um, you know, there's an attorney that helped to draft this resolution, making sure that all the dots were, uh, you know, the everything was dotted and T's were crossed and I's were dots and periods and everything in there. So um, this had been gone through by several attorneys, uh, general counsel attorneys, one from DOJ and um, one that was contracted. So, you know, this is completely on the up and up. There's nothing funny going on here and there's no, you know, we're not going to get hit by any, um, by anything uh, out of the, out of the ordinary. You know what I mean? So we, um, we bring this up at general counsel and it passes. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the legislature has a history of, um, shall we say, not exactly jumping on uh, resolutions that the general counsel has passed. What is stopping them from just putting this in their pockets? Because then it, it with the resolution, it says right there that be it further resolved that we, the people, can take them to court and go straight to the, um, to the court to enforce this. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and and with and because we're going to talk about that hiring process or the policy for the attorneys, you know, that's a procedure and a policy that general counsel can do, you know, authorizing that process. So we'll have to go to court if they decide they're going to fight it. But if you're a new legislature, don't you think you'd want to go with what general counsel says? Well, I think they all would, right? Because they're all working for the people. That's what they said when they... Uh ran for office, right? What's good for the nation? I would think so. I would like to think that that's a positive way to go about it. So if this says we're going to do that, I believe, I believe that our legislature, or I'm hoping that they'll do what general counsel says. And this is completely legal and it shouldn't be bound, uh, bound up into the system because it's relatively an easy, easy and quick fix, especially if we can get the G, G, uh, general counsel agents elected um, at the meeting and the and the procedures and bylaws approved. You know, so there's a few other things that has to go along with this, but it's really important that it's multi, multi all the parts are approved. Well, it just seems uh, strange because the legislature jumped on this when we. Uh, dissolved GCA and they were behind it 100%. So when we're uh, building, putting it back together, I'm sure they're going to be just as uh, compliant and energetic in uh, reinstating this, correct? 
I would hope so. Uh, you know, they were, you know, they were they were told that they should have done a constitutional amendment to, to, based on what was going on. They didn't do it. You know, and here we are. How many years later? You know, we're four or five years later. There's no, there's no fix. And that, you know, we talked about that in one of the previous podcasts where they, uh, during the election, they tried to throw on a constitutional change, right? Yeah. And it failed. Failed miserably. All right. One last question on this topic. Um, we have reinstating a general counsel agency and reversing the office of general counsel. Now that's two different procedures. Is that legal? Can we put both of those together in one um, one resolution, or do they have to be separate resolutions? No, they can be a singular resolution because one affects the other. You can't have both working at the same time. Okay, then I think so. It's, uh, it's really it's a it's a clarification. We are looking at it as two two resolutions, but after discussing it with the attorneys, they said you know these could probably go together very easily, and it and because you want to get rid of one and and reinstate another, it'd be better just to have it on one resolution so it's very clear what's occurring. All right. Well, like I said, I think this is uh, the most important um, resolution for the general counsel, but that's just my opinion. But uh, let's uh, let's get on to the uh, other one, which I think is very important, um, is hiring a GCA attorney um, outside of the legislature. Um, is that possible? Can we yes, do that? I, I believe it is, you know. Because um, we don't have to have counsel- one. He doesn't have to be on call, right? No, the under the the, the whole idea behind this resolution, I kind of helped uh, put this together, um, was that we want to be able to get a contracted attorney to represent the people in the event that there's an action that needs to be taken. One, we also need an attorney to advise the general counsel agency on constitutional and legal issues. You know. Legislature has their legislative attorneys and Department of Justice protects the um, uh, uh, executive. So it's only natural that the uh, general counsel should have at least a contracted attorney. No, that makes sense. And what about the funding? I think that's going to be the big thing because the legislature will say, yeah, go ahead, get yourself an attorney. But, you know, who's going to pay for it? Because we're not going to pay for it for you. So, so in the resolution, is it puts in there that we delegate that to have legal, and then we we make it a policy that the legislature fund it because that is a requirement of our branch to do business. So the resolution requires or requests that the funds be approved to 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 do that and to approve the contract itself. So right now, constitutionally speaking, the legislature thinks that they have the, uh, the full authority to hire only the attorneys. It kind of says that, but, you know, if you want to run uh, constitutional law, being silent uh, on the issue means that you can do it, right? Yeah, I'm just That's looking at one of the... how constitutional law works. I'm looking at what the whereas is. And it says uh, the legislative branch of government has taken a position that it has the sole authority to choose and hire legal counsel for any of the four branches of the nation's government. 
okay, including placing limitations on legal counsel hired to represent the Ho-Chunk, I mean, the general counsel branch of government. Okay, so... Now, therefore, be it resolved. So the whereases in all resolutions kind of tell you the history. It tells you where the problems are. Okay. And then what the resolutions, now, therefore, be it resolved, or be it further resolved, what it's saying is, this is what we're changing, and this is what we want. So it says that okay. the general counsel hereby authorizes the hiring of legal counsel either through employment or contract in order to exercise its exclusive power reserved in the Constitution pursuant to Articles 3, 4, and for other legal needs of the general counsel, the general counsel agency, and the office of the general counsel, and delegates to general counsel agency and or the office of general counsel and or the general counsel advocate the power to develop um, selection criteria, review qualifications of counsel, choose a legal counsel, and direct the day-to-day activities of legal uh, legal counsel, thus making the recommendation to the legislature if required for the administration process of contracting a general counsel, legal counsel. <laughs> so that what it says there is it's saying, hey, what we want to do is general counsel is going to go ahead and contract, do the three-bid interview and then once we find that one legal firm that one legal person whatever the case may be whether it's employment or contract that will submit it to the legislature and they will approve it that's what we're telling them that's our policy right because the general counsel has to create policy our policy is that we want our general counsel to have an attorney right well it says that in the constitution that we are the 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 uh, the power of the people. So I would assume that this is correct, but I'm just not sure because that Constitution says, you know, like I said, that the legislature has the uh, power of the purse. Um, do we? Does the general counsel? Uh, I don't know the word. Come further first. down. It, further down, it kind of explains it. It's trying to prevent the infringement of, and and ensuring the separation of powers. Yeah. Okay. Right? Yep. So, see, you got to kind of go through all the further. Be it resolved. Be it further resolved. You know, we're, we're reversing the actions and inconsistencies. That's one of the. Be it further resolved. Then another one is, um, you know, to ensure that an attorney contract is there to. Uh, to, to to stop the misuse of authority by the one branch okay. over the other yeah. branches. Right? Yeah, all right. I, I see that now. And I'm just... Um, I guess the what I'm looking at is just the history of the legislature when it comes to um, resolutions. And we would have to take these people to court if they refuse to abide by this resolution, um, where do we get, where do we get the money and the power to take the legislators legislature to court if they refuse to act on this? Well, then it goes back to us, the people, you know, um, if you recall Dave Decora, uh, the Dave Decora case, uh, where it said there, there's no standing. So what has to happen is that general counsel, when they approve this, it, there's an authorization of an individual, either the uh, GCA members, uh, the general counsel member that put forth the resolution, or 
um, you know, the other tribal members band together and basically pay for an attorney to go fight this in court because the Constitution specifically says that if they don't take action on it within a certain period of time, then we'll take them to court directly to the Supreme Court. And if, if you look at the way that case says, we're not, they're not a material fact. So they don't look at the facts of the case. What they're looking at is this resolution, constitutional or unconstitutional, right? And if we say we want that thing to happen, then the general counsel should not be tangled with. Because if you do... And it's been written in the Supreme Court uh, opinions in the past. If you mess with general counsel, they can remove you. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. that's still that power. So if you're a smart legislature, which I, I would like to think we have some, um, you'd go along with this. And it, it's only natural. And it's to make sure that the people are getting things done. You know, we had a hundred and something resolutions that were set to the side and no action was taken. In part is because some were bad resolutions. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, if if they did, when we do these resolutions, there's a couple other resolutions that are on that we can talk about in in the future. And the reality is, how we do these resolutions is very important to make sure that action gets taken because we, the general counsel, can't tell the legislature to budget more money for per cap. We can't tell them to pay us more money. We can ask, but we can't force them because they're the purse. They're the purse strings. That's their power in the Constitution. You see what I'm saying? So if we're doing something incorrect or unconstitutional, they really don't have to take action on it because they don't know how to do it. So there's a couple other resolutions that we'll talk about at a later date where there's a a law and constitution subcommittee that could review these things to ensure that they could go forth, you know, and they're approved and vetted so that there's no conflict inside the Constitution or there's no conflict of the law or the policy that's created. And that's one of the things that's really important to me is, you know, we don't look at what our legislature does legally. Don't you think that some of our laws should be repealed? Oh, I do. Yeah. And that's one of the powers of the people of the general counsel that we haven't even begun to use yet. So really, the ethics code I think there was a res- I put a resolution forward to revert that ethics code back to allow for a, a ethics commission or an ethics board and and then force it to go backwards to the old um, the old way of reviewing ethics and then having the legislature uh, put forth uh, an amendment to the general counsel. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, so we've got to really rethink how we do things, and this is this is very important. Having lawyers to help the people, uh, the general counsel, do the right thing to review things to make sure all of our resolutions uh, see the light of day. They're true, they're accurate, and they're correct, and they cannot be put to the side. Okay, well, I think uh, we've covered this uh, these two pretty well. Um, you got anything to add before I cut you loose? No, just uh, if we do have a general counsel agent, like I said, uh, I'm running for chair. I'd, and if we do get these procedures done, I'd love to represent uh, D2 as an agent. I think it'd be absolutely fun. And uh, 
it doesn't get i don't get paid uh, according to the new bylaws which we'll talk at a, a future date but i think it'd be fun to make sure that all of our resolutions are being taken care of and you know the people's voice is being heard yeah i i really do think we have to uh reestablish a general council as a force in the nation so as our fourth branch like it was written in the constitution so i don't want to keep you any longer but uh thanks for everything and we will talk further on uh, i believe bylaws bylaws and procedures all right sir thank you much and have a good evening you too Um, this morning, I wanted to talk about something that's kind of going on in the nation, and it has to do with uh, Representative Darren Brinegar and some questions that are being asked. So I thought I would ask um, Nate Longtail, a tribal citizen, if he could come on and uh, help me out uh, clarify a couple of the issues so that um, we don't kind of bum rush uh a legislator. So, uh, good morning, Nate. How are you doing? I'm uh, doing pretty good, Shelby. Fantastic. Um, I guess let's just get right to the heart of it. Um, on Thursday, March 10th of 2022, there was a uh, teleconference with the Wisconsin DOT Intertribal Task Force. Uh, members of uh, all 11 nations uh, of Wisconsin were asked to attend and did attend. And... Um, our own Darren Brinegar, uh, legislative representative of Area 3, uh, attended. Um, during that time, uh, he was voted the chair, and the uh, conference was from 8.30 to, I think, 11.50. Um, it was at this time that the members were all awarded honorariums, Um I don't know if it, it was subsequent meetings or if it was travel, but it seems kind of strange for travel when it was teleconference. But I don't understand quite the everything that was involved in these meetings. But I do know that uh, he was awarded a substantial amount of money, and our ethics uh, code stipulates that you don't receive money while you're working for the tribe. So... Um, I guess I'm going to ask you for a little clarification. Did I sum that up right, or did I kind of leave some things out? I believe that the meeting you're referring to actually took place on March 10th of 2023. 23. Nevertheless, um, I can shed a little light. Um, as of right now, there's um, there's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of allegations going around. Um, none of them have been, um, to my knowledge, been substantiated as of yet other than what we have in meeting minutes and um, questions that were asked by tribal members. So two separate tribal members had come to me and asked me about a code of ethics violation. Um, I let them know, you know, I said, hey, before we get into any of this, are you sure that you have substantial evidence to make allegations against um, a public official because it's very serious. And from what I was told is that they did. And but these two parties, two different parties and two different times that, that weren't correlated together, they, they both wanted to remain anonymous because they were afraid of retaliation. So 
I, I did take a look into it. I said, all right, well, what do you got? And they, and, and they had a theory that um, one of the legislative representatives um, was taking honoraria from the Intertribal Task Force. So I did look up in the Code of Ethics, and under 10, this is what it reads. 10E, a public official of the nation shall take either one, only honoraria for participating in an extra-governmental event, ceremony, or similar function, or two, only regular work-day salary, but not both simultaneously if the event occurs during working hours to avoid double payment by the organization and the tribe or the organization within the tribe. So after reading that and looking at what they what their theories were, because there was no hard evidence as of yet, I contacted the state of Wisconsin, um, the Intertribal Task Force State Tribal Affairs Program Manager, Christy Jackson, and I sent her an email. After which I got a response from a different individual, um, an individual by the name of Celeste Peterson. And her response was, good afternoon. I've included meeting minutes where intertribal task force voted on stipends for their co-chairs. Co-chairs received an eight, eight-month stipend each month, $400, with a total of $3,200. And travel was a total of $5,334.60. That were for attending conferences and meetings on behalf of the task force. Please let me know if you have any questions. Thank you, Celeste Peterson, Tribal Affairs Project Manager for the state of Wisconsin. Now we have to we have to take that and we have to kind of um, wonder what exactly took place here. What is what exactly are is she talking about? So then I opened up the meeting minutes that were attached to the email, and the meeting minutes showed uh, a meeting that took place in on March 10th of, of uh, 2023 and it talks about who the co-chair was going to be and it talks about who um, the second co-chair is going to be and then after that after those nominations are completed I believe two sections down there's a vote for the like the very first motion of the meeting and the motion is to increase the monthly stipend to $400 it looks like the vote was Eight two zero, and it said that there were two abstentions. I don't, doesn't give you details on who who abstained. Um, doesn't give anything like that. But nevertheless, this email points out that one of our district representatives may have been may have been involved with receiving honoraria and possibly um, receiving a weekly salary at the same time. So there were there were motions at area meetings all over. Uh, the different districts. I made a motion at the District 1 area meeting, and this is what my motion was. It was to have legislative legal counsel provide a legal opinion and justification for the honorarium totaling $5,334.60 that were allegedly paid simultaneously with weekly salary to legislative representative Darren Brenniger, and for this matter to also be referred to the Ho-Chunk Nation House of the President and the Department of Justice for an official attorney general opinion, and to have these opinions released to the public one week prior to the next District 1 legislative area meeting. 
Now, my motion was ultimately defeated. Uh, there was some confusion, and the people the people were, I believe there was 10 that abstained, if I, if I remember correctly. They were unsure of, of where this motion was going. And one of the, the, the key components of that was is that one of the tribal members had, had relayed the call and said that the proper way to, to take care of a complaint is to file it in court with the judicial branch. However, my motion wasn't a complaint at all. My motion was to have clarity and to give a legislative legal counsel the opportunity to do so on behalf of a representative Brenegar. Because right now, these are accusations. There is no, there's unless there's a, a complete investigation done and, and, and a smoking gun somewhere and them saying this definitely happened, until then, you know, these are all allegations. Nevertheless, um, my, my motion was defeated because there wasn't enough clarity as far as is this the complaint? Should the complaint go to the court? And the complaint very well could go to the court. But right now, my motion was only to find clarity from the legislative legal team and possibly the Department of Justice just so they could say, hey, is, you know, maybe for all we know, this was justifiable. This was a justifiable act. But until until then, we would we would like to have an update. So the motion was defeated. However, I was told that different areas passed similar motions that were not defeated and that they moved forward and that they passed. So I'll be curious to see at the next legislative session when they're reading the district area meeting minute what these motions embodied, um, what what they were about, and if in fact um, uh, we find out some news. Maybe an, an investigation will take place. Maybe, um, what would you call it? The attorney general will provide an opinion. Maybe legislative legal will provide an opinion. We won't know. It's all speculative until that point. But the main thing is, is that as of right now, we should always remember that there may be no harm or foul and that, and that this representative is allowed an opportunity to exonerate himself because public opinion can be unfair sometimes. So that's about all that I have, Shelby. Um, I'm not sure if there's any follow-up questions that you have. Um, just from my understanding that this was um, made public to other um, Indigenous nations in Wisconsin and that there's been some fallout uh, from these uh, allegations. Do you know anything about that? I was told by the same individuals that had relayed this information to me that this past week there was another ITTF meeting, and they were told that there was there was other tribal leaders who have similar code of ethics with the Ho Chunk Nation who did who weren't in attendance, and there was there was talk of a couple of resignations at the same time. Now I want to point out that the Oneida Nation has a code of ethics law. In, on their books, but theirs is a little more strict because theirs is anything over a $50 dollar amount. So I'm not sure what took place over there, but I was told that the United Nation was not represented at this past ITTF meeting. Okay, and and you have you you haven't heard specifically from other areas besides the fact that they made 
motions have been made similar to yours? Correct. That's all I heard was that motions were made similar. I heard that Dells Baraboo made a motion. I heard that um, Madison made a motion, and I heard that I heard that there was a motion made in the Milwaukee area meeting. Okay. Well, then um, I think uh, we can just uh, leave that there. And just as long as we're bringing this up, people are aware. But like you said, you know, we have to be very, very careful about uh, these things we're bringing up because this is a uh, really a person's life that we're dealing with here. And that if uh, we let the let, uh, wheels of justice kind of turn and see if um, there's anything to this, if there's nothing to this, then um, there's nothing to this. If there is something, that uh, this should be investigated. And... Um, these um, code of ethics should be adhered to by everybody, correct? Correct. All right. The main thing is that is that you know there's there's a lot of there's a lot of um, what would you call it? Um, it, it? Well, it's just exactly like you're saying. You know, this is this is someone's life. It could be someone's livelihood. Um, no doubt they have a family. No doubt they have um, uh, a family to support. So. It has to be dealt with very delicately. Well, I just want to thank you for bringing that to us. And before you go, anything else you want to add before I uh, cut you loose here, so to speak? I think that's it, Shelby. You know, like I said, I'm thankful that you brought me on the show again to answer a few questions. I know this is this topic has been on a lot of people's minds. Um, and I just wanted to make sure that, you know, it, it landed It landed on my plate. I didn't want it sitting there. And I did make some, you know, make some emails as a tribal member. And this is the information that was retained. And I made sure that it was shared in a, in a manner that was respectful and not to be accusing anyone until, until there's actually substance, you know, a substantial investigation being done and all the all the wheels of justice turning like like they properly should. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time, and um, we'll talk again soon. All right. Thank you. A kitty wita hi paint. The other day, I was strolling through my phone when I says to myself. Self, you haven't checked in with Ho-Chunk Academy for a couple of days. Scroll on over and see if they posted anything new. So, get on over there. A couple of keystrokes later, I see a blanket of deep green plants and the sound of rain tapping the leaves. The sound of the rain is overlaid with the tinkling of treble keys and bass chords on an electric piano. A couple of seconds later, the dulcet tones of Shane Yellow Thunder break into the music. Oh, hini karagiwi, he started. Okay, the following is my imitation. I wanted to quickly tell you about a resource I found online. Usually, before I get started on my work, I pick either some music or a podcast or stream some other content to listen to while I work. And that is exactly how I stumbled upon this YouTube channel called Wazi Radio. To simply open up your YouTube app and type in the word Wazi, click on it, and now, day or night, you can listen to Ho-Chunk speaking. Unquote. Well, that sounded interesting, so I opened another window and scooted over to the YouTube 
and typed in Wazi. A bunch of stuff uh, popped up, but nothing about the Ho-Chunk language. But uh, Mama didn't raise no quitter. So I hit the search bar, and third item down was a black background and a green pine tree. Could be an evergreen, but I'm staying with the pine tree. So I hit the one pine tree, and up jumped the words, Wazi Nainawa, an icon of a pine tree, then, then the words, Radio Wazi. I hit it again, and powwow music came on in my headphones. After about a minute, a man speaking Ho-Chunk came on. I didn't know who it was or what he was saying because my uh, Ho-Chunk is extremely limited. But I listened for about uh, three hours on Friday. It wasn't one person speaking, though. It was numerous tapes of uh, numerous Ho-Chunk speakers, men and women, in a variety of settings. I even recognized my dig, a Kenny Funmaker, on there. There was even a story, a boy, a dog, and a frog, that I recognized from the Ho-Chunk Renaissance site. That someone had taken a time to put all these pieces of content on YouTube was spectacular. It brought me back to my youth when Ho-Chunk was spoken at all powwows and meetings, uh, basically all gatherings. I tapped a description and it said, Ho-Chunk Uite, Hamsere Ho-Chunk language, all day, all the time. Well, that's how I interpret it. I could be wrong. Now, according to the info, it's been up and running since April 19th of 2023, but it has a, a paltry 111 views, 31 subscribers, and 10 upvotes. Seriously? But there are 7,800 Ho-Chunks, plus what, 2,500 Nebraska Ho-Chunks? And how many descendants? And this is all the subscriber and like that this site can garner? Well, to be fair, Shane, Shane uh, Yellow Thunder just stumbled upon it and shared it with me. So I'm sharing it on my uh, Chipotle uh, page, uh, Facebook page. But I just want to say uh, thanks to uh, Shane Yellow Thunder for sharing this information about uh, Wazi Nainawa or Radio Wazi. Now, after you've done your minimum of 18, 18 minutes a day studying Ho-Chunk, the Ho-Chunk language, put this on for a while. It's wonderful to hear our language spoken so naturally, so fluently, so casually. Ho-Chunk huite da hi wina, hamboka hi kichka, wigiji. Whoever you are, the person who took the time to put this together, thank you very much. May the Creator bless you for the work you're doing for the Ho-Chunk people and the continuation of our language. Hanach pinada jiwina, jige hanichawigi, iraki kara un wionjeh.